But today's message is beating your blind spots from this passage in Mark chapter 8. And uh, I know that we all have blind spots. We don't see them. And so our our sermon outline this morning is uh, three points, three quick points, okay? Here's the first point. We all have blind spots. It's pervasive. There's no good guys and bad guys in this passage. There's blind guys. Everybody's blind except for one person, Jesus. And they think he's crazy. Uh, Second point is healing is a process, or I may say it a different way. Change is very slow because uh, even as redeemed people in Jesus Christ, there are complexities um, with transformation and with change. And so it's a process. I think this teaches us that. And the third thing is that we all need outside help. We all need outside help. So uh, first, let me just introduce this a little bit. Why in the world is this passage here? Why is this passage here? This seems like, if you just look at it, it almost looks like Mark is being redundant because we've looked at blind people being healed before. In fact, there are four different records of the life of Jesus. If you're kind of new to Christianity or don't know the the Bible that well, that's okay. You know, there's four different gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all of them together make up a full body of of the life of Jesus. They chronicle his life from his birth to his death. Um, and amongst all those four Gospels, we have, you know, 40, 50-something-odd miracles recorded. And a lot of those are blind people being healed. And so when you come to this passage, you're thinking, Mark, what are you doing here, buddy? Are you just, are you, is this just filler? <laughs> Was Mark just bored and said, I'll throw another miracle in then? No, I mean, I'm not questioning the, whether or not this happened. It did, but it's happened before, similar miracles, and we would think, what's so unique and different about this one? Um, is this Mark's junk drawer? Is he just throwing all the random events in the life of Jesus in this passage? No. No, he's not. This is something very unique in this passage. Uh, and I believe because of what has gone on before this and what follows on the heels of this, that this is really more like a parable. I know Jesus is not teaching here verbally like he would tell a story, a parable, but this is more like an object lesson for the disciples of Jesus that were there, the 12 disciples, and for us, because we're disciples too. Jesus is trying to get our attention and show us something about ourselves. He's going to teach us something about our blind spots, and that is actually point number one, that we all have blind spots. Uh, All of us do. It's pervasive. I'll say it another way. Nobody in this room or nobody throughout the history of the world has seen perfectly clearly except one person. One person that could say, I have no blind spots. I see everything clearly. I see everything perfectly. I have total self-awareness, to use a psychological term. I know myself perfectly, and I know other people perfectly, and I know how the world works, and I know my place in it. It's Jesus. Everybody else, we have blind spots, some more severe than others, uh, but we don't know that about ourselves. Other people know it, right? That's the thing. Other people see your blind spots and know about them, but we don't. Um, And so this miracle is here as an object lesson. There are massive pockets. At this point in the life of Jesus, this is kind of like a continental divide. Chapter 8 in Mark, what's gone before is on a slant. What comes after is on a slant. And chapter 8 is the pinnacle. This is like a continental divide. And this miracle is, is really significant because Jesus uses it to teach all of us something about blindness. If you want to back up just a little bit, if you have a Bible open, I want to read something that happened right before this. Check this out. Um, So they were in a boat with Jesus, and he was telling them, hey, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And because Jesus mentioned leaven, and because they're so hard-hearted at this point, they think Jesus is talking about actual bread, and that he's telling them, uh, 
You forgot to bring bread, you idiots, and we're all going to starve now because we're on a long boat ride and we've got a wilderness to go to. And um, So they've misunderstood him. And listen to what Jesus says. They've been discussing, they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Now check this out. Listen to what he says next. Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? And then he reminds them, I'm, I'm the Messiah. I broke bread. I fed thousands of people. Why are you worried about starving right now? And then the very last thing he says is, do you not yet understand? And then, bam, we have this miracle here. What's Jesus showing us? He's showing us that we are all in some way, some level, some degree or another, we're just like this blind man that Jesus encountered in this village. Halfway through the miracle, right? We're, we're, we're blind. We don't see things as clearly as we ought to, as we should. That's what he is telling them. Now, you may think, ho-hum, you're sitting in your chair, big deal. No, but, but, but I really want to apply this. I really want to get in your kitchen a little bit. I wonder, do you guys believe what I just said to you, that to one degree or another, all of us have blind spots, spiritually, culturally, socially, personally? Okay. If you embrace that truth and you acknowledge that, do you understand the ramifications of that? Nobody in here can feel any air of moral superiority ever, ever because of that. I'll say it another way. I may be the only one in the room, but I look at the Tommy Clayton 10 years ago and I say, what an idiot. What a fool. How could you be the, that <laughs> blind, buddy, to what was going on and that arrogant and that insensitive, how could you lack the, the necessary perception skills to treat your wife, treat your kids, treat partners in ministry, treat Christians? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked back? Do you realize what that means? Check this out. Just a little dose of humble pie here. That means the you 10 years from now is going to look back on the you today and say, what an idiot, what a fool. You know what that means? And I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad news or anything, but that means the you today is a fool, <laughs> right? Which means we have blind spots. We don't know them. We don't see them, right? That's pretty radical. And you know what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to make you stop being condescending toward other people. How dare anybody in this room, myself included, look at somebody else and say, what an idiot, what a fool. How blind can you be? How many people have done that this week, this morning, maybe, maybe during the service? Maybe you've done it to me already, right? How could he not get the TV on before the... Seriously, that means there's no room for that. There's no room for, for you to ever think or even speak. What a fool. In fact, if you read through the Bible, the first sermon Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, do you, we skip over this part and we scratch our heads. What in the world? What's the big deal with fool? You know, he, he brings down a curse on people who call other people fools. You remember that little part tucked away in the Sermon on the Mount? He said, don't you ever call anybody fool. You're in danger of hellfire. <laughs> wow, what's that all about? Jesus is saying you are so blind to even think that way, let alone speak that way, that says that you're almost in an area, an area of helplessness, you know? You're so blinded. That is the implications. Nobody has... 2020 vision. In fact, if you back even further up and read this whole passage, the Pharisees are blind. They don't see. The Sadducees are blind. They don't get it. The people in these villages Jesus has been doing miracles in, they're in unbelief. And the disciples are in unbelief. 
So look, I like Westerns. I grew up in Arkansas. I watched spaghetti Westerns all my life. And I watched John Wayne's, Clint Eastwood's, all those guys. My dad and I spent a lot of time watching, you know, old Western reruns on TV. And I kind of like that culture because it's pretty easy to figure out who the bad guys are, right? They all have on black hats. And the good guys, they have on white hats. Um, But life is a little bit more complicated than that, isn't it? You can drop that. You can drop those easy, quick, and and, uh, skewed categorizations when you come into Christianity because there's no black hats and white hats. There's, we're all blind. We all have blinders on. I I love a quote that uh, Tim Keller says here. Check this out. He says, only the Christian worldview locates the problem with the world, not in any particular group of people, but in sin itself. Sin infects us all, and so we cannot simply divide the world into the heroes and the villains. And then he puts this little parenthetical nugget in there. I love this. And if we did, we would certainly have to count ourselves among the latter as well as the former. Ooh, it's true, isn't it? That's true. We're all villains to some degree, meaning we all have blind spots. None of us have 20-20. That should make us humble. You know, the Bible never gives us a version of morality like a spaghetti western. It says we're all in process. We come to faith in Christ and we have to remain in Christ. We have to stay in Christ, abide in Christ. Our blindness will, over, will oh, excuse me, overwhelm us. Um, so that means we have to be humble and we have to admit that. That's something that I'm finding myself admitting more and more every day as I get older and grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Is Lord, where am I missing the boat here? What is it that I'm not seeing? What's impeding my growth here? Please take the blinders off, Lord. It's going to be painful. Show me where I'm really missing it here. Um, and I think it may be helpful to, to, to teach us how pervasive this is. If we just take a step back and look at history, look at the world, you know there's, there are four different kinds of blind spots, really. One of them is religious blind spots. Did you know that? Did you know during the Crusades, way back when in the medieval times, these soldiers brandishing uh, shields with the cross on there, Uh, They were hacking infidels' heads off while they were crying out, Jesus is Lord, right? They were declaring war in the name of Jesus. Something sound not quite right with that? Everybody was doing it. (laughs) They just couldn't see it. You know, they, they, they forgot that part where he said, Peter, put away your sword. I'm not saying we should be Christian pacifists, but the Crusades, read the history of that. It was the wrong cause, right? We were going to conquer these lands in the name of Jesus. We were going to have this imperial Christianity, um, And some people still feel that way. They think in order for Christianity to thrive and to flourish, all the Christians have to be in power. Is that not a blind spot? Do you know when Christianity has flourished the most? It's when Christians have forfeited power, guys. The whole moral majority uh, project, experiment, if you want to call it, in America, we ought to be moral people. We should pursue righteousness. Um... But when Christians think that if, in, unless they're in power and their people are in office and they have control and they can manipulate, that's never gone well for Christians. It never has. When we're the persecuted minority, I know nobody wishes that. I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be ridiculed and mocked and um, have to not, not have the privilege to be able to worship here in freedom. And here's another one. I don't know if you can see that. And that's a painful part of our history, boy. It says, Jesus saves in the back of that church on a banner, and then the Ku Klux Klan are gathered there, worshiping with all the leaders of that church. Do you think that that was a pretty pervasive blind spot? I'd say that it was. And we could go to many other areas, segregation, racial inequality, the Me Too movement, 
What in the world? A lot of that done in the name of Christ. What in the world? Blind spots sometimes are corporate. Like nobody sees it. Everybody refuses to see it. And then we have a courageous Christian stands up and says enough. There's cultural blind spots too. Can you guys see that? You know, my high school football coach told me when he was a kid, he could remember on the radio ads coming on that would say, shortness of breath, have a camel. Doctor's number one favorite cigarette. <laughs> what in the world? What was going on? Where was the Surgeon General on that one? Right? And then you see this again, the, the painful uh, past we have as Americans. Colored people sit in the back. Colored people couldn't drink from this fountain. Serious cultural blind spot. I found this the other night. This, this, this may raise the hair on the back of your neck. This is an actual article from a magazine. Um, I, I can't see it hardly. From Housekeeping Monthly, May 1955. 19 rules for keeping a happy husband. All right? Now, I know wives want to get their hands on this so you can know how to keep your husband happy, right? Let me just read a couple of these gems here for you, okay? Here we go. Um, prepare yourself... Take 15 minutes to rest. This is before he gets home. Take 15 minutes to rest so you'll be refreshed when he arrives. Touch up your makeup, put a ribbon in your hair, and be fresh looking. He has just been with a lot of work-weary people. So take that in consideration, right? <laughs> Some of you guys aren't laughing. This is, this is, not, this is not spoof. This is real. <laughs> Here we go. Listen to him. You may have a dozen important things to tell him, but the moment of his arrival is not the right time. <laughs> Let him talk first. Remember, his topics of conversation are more important than yours. <sighs> Blind spots. Blind spots. And then the very last thing says, a wife must know her place. I left that one out. I didn't want to get, you know, I didn't want to uh, have, I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> Social blind spots. How about this? Scientific blind spots. Did you know we used to believe the earth was in the center of the galaxy? You know that? What's that called? A geocentric theory before it was heliocentric? People actually believe that. And when, uh, when a scientist came along and tried to change the paradigm shift, uh, he was considered a heretic. True story. Yeah, and we used to believe the earth was flat too. And would you believe some people still do, folks? Some people still believe that. If you're one of them, don't tell me, okay? Just keep that blind spot to yourself there. Uh, how about medical? Man, this is huge. Did you know that they used to do what's called blood... Tao, did you know this? They used to do bloodletting. If you were sick and you were weak and you had a disease or a fever, they thought, you know what would really be good for you? Let's let some of those <laughs> white blood cells out of your body that are going to fight that illness, right? They would drain you. Blind spots, lots of blind spots. I'm reading a book right now called The Great Influenza. It's about the, uh, the greatest uh, pandemic that the world has ever seen, and it was the flu in 1918 that broke out from the Great War, from World War I, and soldiers being transported all over the world to fight were carrying it everywhere. It was terrible. Killed more people than, than the war itself did. It killed more people in 24 months than the, than the HIV virus killed in 24 years. Terrible. Millions of people died from it. And in that book, it's tucked away. It's interesting. It's the whole history of how germ theory got started. And uh, one of the reasons that that was such a, an, an, a pandemic was because people didn't know that microorganisms, you know, bacteria infect 
water supply and there's germs and you should wash your hands and you should uh, uh, quarantine people. They didn't get any of that. I mean, back then, there wasn't even such a thing as hygiene for surgery. You didn't wash your hands. You didn't wash your instruments. I mean, we laugh at that today, but they didn't know. They didn't know. Doctors today would look back and scoff and laugh, and laugh. And, but there's blind spots we have today too. But in this book, is tucked away. There was a man, and his name was Robert Koch. And he came along in the, in the mid-1850s, and there were cholera outbreaks killing tons of people, and there was also tuberculosis outbreaks. And this guy came along with his microscope, and he said, these are living organisms. These are bacteria that's causing this. And they were laughing him to scorn, mocking him, ridiculing him. They said, you're nuts, because they had a theory that was in place at the time, and it was the paradigm, and it was called miasma. I think, I hope I'm saying it right, Tao. You can correct me later if I'm not. Miasma, and it basically said people get sick from poor air quality, okay? Swamp gas, pollutants, um, if, if there's uh, just toxicities in the air. I mean, they were a little bit right for airborne diseases, but for the vast majority of things that were wiping the populations out, they were wrong. And so they laughed at him and they said, that's the craziest thing we've ever heard. One fierce opponent of his was so adamant that he prepared vials uh, of water with lethal doses uh, of cholera in them and he drank them, he and his students, to prove this guy wrong. And miraculously, they survived. But what happened after that is pretty incredible. Um, cholera outbreaks, there was wa a water supply that was going downhill to two major cities. One of them listened to Robert Koch and they filtered the water, and nobody in the village died. The other village, it was actually a city, Hamburg, in Germany. 9,000 people died because they were listening to this guy that drank the vials. Um, and all those people died, and his opponent killed himself because of the shame and the mockery. Isn't that interesting, though? Now they know it's just commonplace. Of course, there's microorganisms. There's bacteria. That's how people get sick. That's why you wash your hands. That's why you... Uh, contamination is such a, you know, such a dangerous thing. But back then, that was a blind spot. Medical blind spots, cultural, social, scientific, and spiritual too. We all have spiritual blind spots that we just do not see, cannot see the truth about ourselves, about Christ, about our place in the world, about our mission, about the church. We all have those things. All of us do. Getting my notes out of place here. That's never happened to me before. Technical difficulty. Give me a second here. I can blame it on my family, but I did it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think we all, we all can look back uh, at things that happened to us in the past, and we can say, you know what? I blew it. I blew it at that job, or I blew it at that opportunity. I blew that relationship. Why? How can we say that? Because we look back in hindsight and we have perspective, don't we? We see issues that were there, personal problems that were there. We see more clearly in, in, in hindsight, you know, like the, the armchair quarterback or the backseat driver. We can see things that other people can't see, even about ourselves. And I'll just give you, uh, I think some of the reasons is our self-sufficiency. That's what we're blinded to, I think, is that we are self-sufficient. We're not weak. We're not, we don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want any help. We're so, we're so proud sometimes that we have the answers. We're with it. We get it. And we're in denial, really. I remember just uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was telling my wife, I was talking to this person, 
and they were telling me there was an issue, a relational issue and a family conflict, and they were telling me about this person so negative. You just don't understand. They're so negative. And I was, I was telling my wife afterwards because she was helping me counsel this person. I said they couldn't see it. This person that I'm trying to counsel, telling me about somebody else's negativity, they are one of the most negative people that I've ever encountered in ministry, ever. And they're not at this church, so don't, don't be trying to guess or anything, Okay. But such a, a glaring blind spot. They're like, you don't understand how negative this person is. And I'm like, man, if you look up negative in the dictionary, there's like a picture of you there. I'm not saying that to be cruel, but just I was studying this and it helped me see they don't know. They don't get it. They can't see it. And look, guys, if you don't see a problem that's in your life, you're not going to ask for help. You're not going to seek change. You're not going to pursue transformation. It's not going to be something that you're asking God to help you with. And that's a huge problem. That's exactly where the devil wants you to stay. He blinds people to the glory of Christ and to their own sinful issues they have. It's a serious problem. Here's some, some little issues that, that may help you understand what I'm talking about. The person that talks too much. <laughs> Me. Me. We named our daughter after one of our best friends named Kirsten. And uh, she was my, my wife's best friend even when we met. Um, she lived up in Washington, D.C. And she met... Uh, a man that asked her to marry her. His name was John Anderson. And Sarah and I flew up. We didn't, I don't think we have any kids at the time. We flew up to meet her fiance. I was really excited. And I met him at the airport. This is a true story. And I met him at the airport and we sat down on a bench somewhere. I think our uh, Sarah and, and Kirsten went somewhere to get something. And I talked and I talked and I talked and I talked for about 25 minutes. My wife came back Kirsten came back and they were sitting there looking at me and I thought, man, I'm really making a good impression here. Everyone's just bedazzled by what I'm saying. And I was talking about myself, seriously, for 25 minutes. Perfect stranger I just met, a brother in Christ, and I'm talking about myself for 25 minutes. <laughs> and we left there and I had a really good conversation in the car with my wife. <laughs> it just, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. And, I, and, and when she shared with me, in a very loving and gentle way. It was humiliating. It was painful. It was agonizing. But look, that was just a symptom. There was a, I'm not saying it's that easy. I just quit talking about yourself. No, you talk about yourself because you think about yourself because of other spiritual issues, right? That was me. That was me. It still is me. Sorry if that happens to you. You can, hey, hit the pause button here. There's other people in the room. The person that talks too much, person that treats their spouse like dirt, and they don't realize it. They really don't. The person that yells at their kids treats them like animals. They don't see it. The overbearing person who's obnoxious, the controlling person who's manipulative and, and sensitive, the person that's enslaved to other people's opinions, blind spots. All of those are blind spots that Christians fall into as well. We make wrong assessments of ourselves. We make wrong assessments of others. We have the wrong filters. We're afraid to admit we're not competent to run our own lives. We're weak. We're flawed. We're blind and we need help. You know, there was a, uh, there was a king in the Old Testament and his name was Asa. And by and large, he was an amazing king. And every time I read through this account, when I'm reading through the Old Testament, it, it strikes me. And I just read a book by Larry Osborne. He was talking about this in a chapter on blind spots. Check this out. Although Asa did not remove the high places, high places were places of idolatry where you worship false gods and goddesses, okay? Although he did not remove the high places, high places, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. 
Say what? You ever read, you ever read the Old Testament and you're like, huh? What? Do you realize most of the kings in the Old Testament, that was a complete and utter blind spot to them? They couldn't see it. They had bought in to the false pagan worship around them to the extent that they left the high places. Those false altars to the false gods and goddesses, some of them that you know you would offer your children to as a burnt offering, they left them there. They left them there and they let the people of Israel worship there if they wanted to. And it's, it, even the person writing the Old Testament said he remained, his heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life except for the high places. It was a blind spot even to the people that were writing scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? Everyone just went with it. That's how blind spots happen. Hey, if it takes a village, right? It takes a village to stay blind. There's corporate blindness. There's cultural blindness. Some of our heroes definitely had clay feet, didn't they? Martin Luther, the reformer, he had a real issue with Jews. You believe that? And people just looked right over that in history. He got a free pass on it. It's interesting. We all have blind spots. Some people's blind spots may be legalism. They are viewing their acceptance with God based on their activity, their behavior, their church ministry. They have a report card and it's their performance. Am I reading my Bible enough? Am I praying enough? Am I volunteering enough? Or am I tithing enough? Am I doing enough evangelism? Am I talking about Jesus enough? It's this hamster wheel of activity. That's, that's a blind spot for a lot of people. And listen, when they're in a culture that reinforces that blind spot, oh, it's even worse. It's even worse. A lot of people are coming out of cultures like that, and the, and the dimmer switch is beginning to go up, and they're looking back and saying, oh, my word, I can't believe that I was a part of that. I can't believe I raised my kids like that. I can't believe I, t- I treated my wife like that. Such a condescending, egocentric person. That's what happens sometimes. Michael Horton said this, most evangelical young people are unchurched by their sophomore year in college, we're told. That's scandalous. Why do they find these other stories compelling, worthy of ditching the in Christ story? Michael Horton said that. I think that's been a blind spot for churches. We're preaching and talking about the Bible, but we're not explaining it in a way that's relevant to people, that's helping them. They don't see Christianity as helpful. It's just some abstract thought floating around out there. There's some good news maybe somewhere in it, but we're not taking the finished work of Jesus and applying it to their life. We're not telling them why the message about Jesus is good news for them right now today. And so they're ditching Christianity. They don't find it compelling. They find these other ideologies and worldviews at college more compelling than they do Christianity. Or maybe they see uh, duplicity. Maybe they see all these people that claim to be Christians and then they're living a lifestyle that's completely hypocritical and opposite to that. And they're ditching it. It's a blind spot that a lot of Christians and churches have. Sight is a gift. Sight is a gift. And the only way we know uh, that we're seeing clearly is that we're aware that we're not seeing 100% clearly. I hope that makes sense to you, what I'm telling you. If you think you see absolutely clearly, you're probably not. Jesus answered the question of a Pharisee who came to him and he said, do I see clearly? And Jesus said, because you say you do, you're blind. And it's the same way with Christians. So second point, healing is a process. Healing is a process. Now this is really interesting the way this miracle plays out. Jesus goes into this village 
and he takes this man by the hand. Uh, this is a very powerful metaphor. This whole miracle is. It's a powerful metaphor, and it's also a powerful analogy. He takes this man by the hand. He takes him outside the village. He spits on his eyes. Kind of disgusting if you weren't a part of that culture, right? And then he asks him, hey, do you see anything? What do you see? Jesus has never done this before. No miracle has he ever. He always tells them to go do something afterwards. Go wash or go eat or go tell everybody or don't go tell everybody, right? This is the only time he's ever asked a follow-up question. And it's almost like, hey, how'd I do? (laughs) Jesus performs this miracle and he's like, so how'd that work out for you? How'd it go? No, that's not what he's asking. He wants this guy to confess something, right? Man, this is such a parable of us today. He wants this guy to confess something. What's he doing here? What's he saying? Point number two. I could say change is slow, but healing is a process. Healing is a process. What does this man say? He says, I see men like trees walking. That's always been kind of creepy and eerie to me reading that. You know what this man's saying? He's saying, I see something, but I don't see clearly yet. See, that's where a lot of Christians live right there. They see something. You can't say that they're blind completely. There's just, they're just not in focus, right? But you can't, see, you can't say either that they see 100%. There's this in-between, half-enlightened, you might call it. It's what Charles Spurgeon called some people in his congregation, half-enlightened. The fact that this man said men like trees walking tells us two things. One, I don't think he was born blind. I think he knows what trees look like and what people kind of look like. And secondly, the miracle wasn't finished yet, right? He needed a second touch from Jesus. He needed Jesus to continually exude power and exercise authority in his life. That's what he's doing. Listen, Jesus could heal with a word. Jesus could heal with a touch. Jesus could heal with a thought. He didn't even have to be there to heal the guy. He's he's shown us that in Mark's gospel. Jesus could stop a hurricane in its tracks, raise a dead man, cast out hundreds of demons. This wasn't Jesus lacking power. This wasn't an off day for Jesus. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is trying to teach his disciples something, and he's trying to teach us something, that healing is a process. It's a process. Sinclair Ferguson said this, the disciples' spiritual understanding did not come instantaneously, but gradually, gradually, they too needed the second touch from the hands of their master. Change takes time, guys, doesn't it? We rush people. I think we all look at the Apostle Paul's uh, miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, and we base Christianity on that. When that was one instance of something like that happening, I'm not saying that justification by faith alone is a process. It's not. There's one minute when you're not a believer, and the next second you are when you place your trust in Christ. I'm talking about total transformation, it's, it's more like the Apostle Peter most of us can identify with, right? Find for me where Peter became a Christian in the New Testament. You're going to have a hard time. We know he's a Christian, but pinpointing, scholars have debated that for centuries. At what point did Peter get it? We don't know because he seems to get it, and then he didn't get it, right? He's saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he's saying, you're not going to go to the cross. That had never happened to you. And you scratch your head, and you're like, what the heck? I'm, I'm like the Apostle Peter. I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm not like the Apostle Peter. In a lot of ways, I am. I'm, a dim, I'm dim-witted. I get blinded. I'm, in, I'm impetuous. I put my foot in my mouth. Change is a, is a process, right? 
It's very slow. One man I read the other day said this. He's talking about understanding this. Understanding this analogy and knowing that, man, I'm in process and I want God to help me. I want to see clearly. He said this. I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what you think you know. Unless you are like Jacob and say, I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. Unless you have a holy dissatisfaction that your level of experience and spiritual sight with God's love and holiness, unless you are dissatisfied and keep saying to Jesus, no, I still don't see clearly, you're not going to keep growing. This is teaching us that growth happens in stages. Spiritual growth happens in stages. God has to continually, in Christ, keep his hand on you, open your eyes, show you things about yourself, show you things about the gospel, show you things about the world you live in, your family, your community. It happens in stages. If we're finished growing, then we're dead, right? If we think we see clearly and we're never asking God for any more help, for any more clarity, man, that's a big problem. That's when you get really stale and ingrown. And sometimes, you know, I want to be cautious the way I make this sub-point here. It's interesting to me that Jesus took this man by the hand and he led him out of the village. He led him out of the village. And the village was called Bethsaida. And Bethsaida did not, did not have a good reputation in the Bible. In fact, Jesus calls down a curse. Did you know that? A little bit later, he'll say, Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, for had the mighty miracles that were done in uh, you been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. There was a lot of hardness of heart, callousness, and unbelief and hostility in that village. And it's interesting to me, I don't want to read too much into this, it's interesting to me that before Jesus cured this man's blindness, he took him out of that village. And I think probably a lot of people in here can relate that there are certain cultures and groups that you can be a part of and blindness is just perpetuated. You're never going to have an epiphany, if you want to call it that. You're never going to have a fresh vision of the power of Christ and the power of the gospel until somehow God takes you out of that. And I want to be careful the way I say it. I don't want you to read into this. Oh, I'm in a hard marriage. That's what I needed to hear, Pastor. I'm going to get out of this man. No, don't read into that. All I'm saying is... Maybe the group of people you're around, you really need fresh perspective. I remember the seminary that I went to, we were told, and it's a great seminary and I love it and I love the men there, but man, there was a very small group of people that we were allowed to read, you know? Read this book by this guy and this guy, don't read that, that guy's dangerous, that guy's off, that guy's not where we're at, he's not in our camp. And you know, you, you read like that, man, these blinders just cover more and more and more of your eyes, they do. And I graduated seminary and I started, <laughs> you know, I went and started buying these books secretly <laughs> and reading some really great authors that had some tremendous insight into the Christian faith, interpretation of scripture, understanding the cultural setting in which you're doing evangelism. And I'm telling you, it was like my worldview was, was shattered. Not the Christian worldview, but my worldview, the one I had adopted and amassed for myself. But until I got out of the village the blinders didn't come off completely. It's just really interesting. You know, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, they tell him, you know, some of the things you're saying to the Pharisees and the scribes, they're really offended by that. Do you remember that encounter Jesus had? And do you remember what Jesus said? He said, every plant that my heavenly father um, 
has not planted will be uprooted. And he says this, and he says, leave them alone. They are the blind leading the blind. And if the blind are following the blind, they're both going to fall where? Into a ditch. That's one of the only times Jesus said, get away from them. Leave them alone. Get away from them. To me, I just, I think there's a slight warning here. Sometimes we can be in a village, in a context that the blindness that we already suffer from is just perpetuated. And that makes me all the more want to ask the Lord, God, am I in healthy relationships right now that are helping me see more clearly? Myself, others, helping me understand how to apply and interpret the Bible, how to live out the mission of the gospel. It's just interesting. That's, that's a small sub-point. Um, I did have a slide for it, though. When, I, when we went to seminary, I lived in uh, Los Angeles, and there was, you know, there's pretty bad smog in L.A. Do you guys know that? I didn't know that. I'm just the, the, the dummy from Arkansas that's never been in the big city, you know? And one day, I'm, we're in Southern California, we're flying out to go see my family, and I look out the window, and I'm like, whoa, look at that fog down there, honey. That's crazy. And she said, uh, that's not fog, honey. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? It's like haze? She said, no, that's, that's smog. That's like car fumes and all the contagions, like trapped by the atmosphere and pushed down by the heat, and we're breathing it. It's toxic. It's terrible for you. And I was living in it, and I couldn't see it until... I got out of it, and I looked down, and I said, dang, I don't want to go back there. I don't want to live in that. But see, when you're living in it, you don't see it. You're blinded to it. We're blinded to the cultures we're in, guys. Let me just say it that way. All of us here have cultural blind spots that we can't see. We need help. We need a good, solid Christian community, and then we need what this last point is here. We need outside help. Point number three, final point. I'm closing. Point number three, we need outside help. All of us do. Sam Albury, I love, love reading this guy. He said this, the Christian life is not needing Christ less, but needing him more. You know, some people think you mature, you grow, man, you're, you're going through these levels, if you want to call it. It's a terrible way to think of Christianity, I guess. Uh, going through these levels, and man, the better you are as a Christian, the more you're growing, the less you're going to need Jesus. <clears throat> That's the worst thing you could ever think about Christian maturity. no. The more you mature and grow as a Christian, and the more enlightened you become, you see, man, I really need Jesus. I need him, man. I didn't know I needed him here too, and here, and here, and here, here. Lord, help me, take me, fix me, transform me, change me. We need outside help. We can't fix ourselves. We can't even see our blind spots, let alone change them. You know, that's the, dif the difference between Christianity and all the other disciplines and sciences and ossipies and all the ideologies in the world. They can tell you what is, and they may be able to tell you what ought to be, but as far as the how to get from here to there, they can't help you with that. They can offer suggestions, but true transformation, Christ has the power to open blind eyes. He does. That's what this miracle is. It's an object lesson. We see, but we don't see. And see, you got you to gotta admire this man. Because think about it, if you had been blind for a lot of your life, maybe you weren't born blind, but you don't see anything, and then all of a sudden this man, this stranger comes, spits in your eyes, and says, hey, what do you see? And you're like, you know what? Man, I'm doing okay. I could live like this, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm not blind. I was blind two seconds ago, and now I can actually see there's these people running around, and thank you, Jesus, I'm good. That's what happens to a lot of Christians, they see just good enough. Thank you, Lord. I'm good. I'll take it from here. I can live my life this way. 
Oh, you can live your life that way, but you can't serve Christ that way. You need another touch from him. You say, well, how do I get it? Well, you got to admire this guy. What did he say? He admitted, didn't he? I mean, that would be, I'm going to be honest. If I was there, this is the son of God. He's the Messiah. I wouldn't know if this was a trick question. Would he take this wrong? It's like, uh, Lord. He goes, so how, are, how do you see things now? You're like, uh, uh, it's better, Jesus, but I think you messed up, Lord. <laughs> I can't, there's something not quite right here. You got to admire the guy. It took a lot of courage. He said, look, I, I don't see everything clearly. I need help. And I think Jesus took that as faith. He touched him again, and it says three verbs in Greek dealing with blepo, the means to see. He looked up, he looked out, he saw clearly. He had farsight, he had nearsight. See, before he saw men like trees. Now he saw men like men and trees like trees. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book on spiritual depression, one of the best books on the subject. It's on spiritual depression, not organic kind, okay? There's a big difference there that people get confused on. This is spiritual depression. And one of the chapters, he featured this passage um, in this book, and it's really, really good. And he says in there, um, here, I had the quote up here. He says in that book, this man's honesty saved his, saved his sight. Check this out. What then is the cure? What is the right way? It is to be honest and to answer our Lord's question truthfully. That is the whole secret of this matter. He turned to this man and he asked, do you see anything? And the man said, absolutely, honestly, I do see, but I am seeing men as if they were trees walking. What saved this man was his absolute honesty. And Lloyd-Jones would go on to say that the thing we have to be aware of is saying that, uh, saying that we're cured completely when we're not. You know, that's pride. That's self-sufficiency. And he said, the other thing we have to guard against is despair. It's like, I can't see and I'll never be able to see. And then anger, like, Lord, I'm out of this. I thought Christianity was different. I thought it would fix me. I thought I would be changed instantly. Man, I, I, lo- I love the fact that Christianity is so unique and utterly different than any other religion or worldview in the world. You know why? Because you say, okay, well, I know I have blind spots and and I'm going to fix them. I'm going to go, I'm going to adopt Christianity and start practicing Christianity just like you practice medicine and I'm going to get better. Well, no, Christianity doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You don't go and do your five pillar thing or or you seek uh, nirvana and enlightenment. No, Christianity is a relationship with a person named Jesus Christ. And you know this, um, If you want to know a person and you go up to them and say, hey, I want to know all about you, unless they reveal themselves to you, there's not going to be a relationship there. That's how Christianity is utterly different. The Bible says we're utterly blind from birth. We're we're blind. We're dead in our sins. And Christ quickens our spirit, opens our eyes to see his beauty and power. And then he has to keep laying his hands on us to show us more of him, more of him. We behold him, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, and we become like him. We're changed from one level of glory to the next into his image. That's what I love about Christianity is we go to him and we beg him, Lord, please, I know I'm blind. I want to see. Help me, God. I know I don't have self-awareness. I know I've got things that are hindering you working through me in my life, things relationally and culturally and personally. Please show these blind spots to me, Lord. I want to see them. It's going to hurt. But if you don't show them to me, I'm not going to go to you for help because I won't know I need it. That's what Lloyd-Jones is talking about, being honest with the Lord and seeing these things. And here's uh, the last thing I wanted to, to say, really. Every one of these miracles that you see Jesus doing, it's really interesting, especially in Mark's gospel. 
He seems to trade places with people. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus meets a leper. Lepers were unclean. They were cursed. They were cast out. They couldn't come within 100 feet of somebody without yelling, unclean. And Jesus walks up to a leper, and he touches him, and he cleanses him. And he tells the leper, don't tell anybody about this. And the leper goes, and what happens to Jesus? He's cast out outside the city. He can't do ministry anymore. He trades places. The leper had shame. There was stigma. There was a curse, and Jesus took all that. You see the man in in Mark chapter 5. He's a demoniac. He's crazy. He's bloody. He's naked. He's living amongst the tombs. You remember this? He's crying out at people, and Jesus goes and, and, and touches this man and heals him, and he's clothed, he's in his right mind, and he's seated at the feet of Jesus. And yet, look at the end, of, you have to look all the way to the end of Jesus' ministry to see the complete change take place, the replacement. Jesus traded places with the bloody man out in the cemetery, didn't he? He's bloody and naked on a cross crying out to God. He's the one that's filled with shame, Right? Because you, you were crucified, you were a criminal. And then what about this, you say? What about this? What's, what's different about this? This is the great exchange because, listen, you know, the Bible says when Jesus was dying on the cross that it was the middle of the day, but there was this enormous, uh, complete and total eclipse that took place. I mean, this is the Middle East at the apex of where the sun would set, and it was completely and utterly dark. Couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And he cried out, you know, Abba, Father. He cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And and he got no answer. Jesus was completely shrouded in darkness. Why? Why? What was going on? Do you know the only reason that Jesus can give us complete transformation and spiritual sight is because he traded places with us, right? Jesus saw things perfectly. He had a hundred, he was in the light, total light. And And we were in the darkness, And it's almost as if Jesus traded places with us, right? He was willing to leave the light and be plunged into absolute darkness. Why? To rescue us from our darkness. He traded places with us. He was plunged in the darkness. He rescued us, pulled us up. And Jesus wants to continually keep his hands on us and reveal truth to us, reveal more of himself. That is what will change you into the kind of Christian Jesus wants you to be. And that's what this series really is all about. And I hope you come back next week because it's going to get even more exciting each, each of these instances we look at. Let's pray.